0: Chapter 5. Squatting. Did I mention I have been a slow, dull student? In Kaupapa this there's a sentence that shocks me every time I read it and that speaks to and from the broken heart of our history. In Taranaki, the Waitangi Tribunal tells us, many hapū were left with nothing of their own to live on and became squatters on crown land. End quote. Squatters on Crown land that had in fact been Māori land before it was taken. And the thing is, we knew it was wrong even then. In the Taranaki question, an actual protest pamphlet from 1861, Sir William Martin, the first Chief Justice of New Zealand, spoke up against the Crown's unlawful behaviour. No right of a British subject, Sir William wrote, Is more clear or more precious than this, that the executive government shall not use the force at its command to oust any man from his land. Sir William was responding to the confiscations which he saw as a violation of Article 3 of the Treaty of Waitangi, with its promise, and I quote, to the natives of New Zealand that they would have, and again I quote, the rights and privileges of British subjects. We, the English subjects of the Queen, he wrote, dislike nothing so much as being intimidated into the relinquishment of a right. Why should a Māori dislike it less? And then, in this remarkable piece of writing, he assesses the land confiscations and asks, quote, Was it lawful for the government? Under the circumstances to take possession of the land by armed force, there can be only one answer. It was not lawful. It was not lawful. One law, except when it had to be broken for the benefits of the colonisers. Still, hands up who's more concerned about the words miraka creamy" on a chocolate bar. Every time I stumble upon the one-people vacuousness of Hobson's choice and their dull ilk, history is never mind paternalism with the depth of a milk arrowroot dunked in a cup of tea, I think of what happened in Taranaki and of my own long journey to begin to understand it. I think of what Kopapa Tuatahi describes as the generational distortion of physical and spiritual well-being, and the flow-on effects on subsequent standards of living," end quote. I think of how aspects of Ropatu were, quote, arranged as to inflict the pain of the past on every generation of their people, end quote. And I think of how some of us still don't truly understand that. For decades, Kopapa Tuatahi tells us, and I quote, this shameful history lay largely buried in obscurity, Young Māori was schooled to believe that those of their forebears, whose images they should have carved with pride, were simply rebels, savages or fanatics. The government's criminality was hidden. The last time I was in Taranaki, I was working on a story about Chaos Price. Chaos, who was 22 and had fallen through the cracks of his own potential, landing in a wasteland of wild, reckless criminality, Chaos, whose own grandmother described him as a little shit. Chaos, who was shot dead by New Zealand police on the road between New Plymouth and Waitara on Century Hill, not far from Bellblock, where so many lives were lost in the colonisation wars. Chaos Price was the fifth man shot dead by police in Taranaki so far this century, and four of them have been Māori. I will not repeat that story here, although I do want to quickly repeat something from it. And it's what Chris Finlayson, then Treaty Negotiations Minister, said at Parihaka in 2017. And I quote, The Crown took the rich lands of Taranaki and left its people impoverished, demoralised and vilified. Impoverished, demoralised and vilified. I have no mercy in me, Malcolm X said, for a society that will crush people and then penalise them for not being able to stand up under the weight. That's us on our baddest days. And here's the lose-lose paradox. If Māori flounder, it's get over it, get on with it. And if Māori identity starts to flourish, even in the simplest ways, even when... The idea of one people. Sir William Martin addressed this in that long and passionate by the standards of the Time paper called the Taranaki Question, presented to Parliament in 1864. By this time, the New Zealand Settlements Act had given the Crown the right to confiscate land from any native tribe or section of a tribe or any considerable number thereof engaged in rebellion against Her Majesty's authority. The determination of rebellion was the crowns to make. Ploughing was rebellion. Removing surveying pegs was rebellion. Refusing to leave land and home was rebellion. And of this, Sir William wrote that Māori, and I quote, seeing their territory entered by an armed force and property destroyed by that force, end quote, had every right to resist. What else would anyone do? And then he wrote 27 of the sanest words written by any Pākehā during that lightless period of colonisation. Quote, Ought we not, in fairness, to conclude that they resisted not because they were traitors, but rather because they were New Zealanders or because they were men?